Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 144th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is holidays and weekends, prime time for cyber attacks. Well, this sure has a special meaning for us, doesn't it, John? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of times people don't focus on this topic. I know that at least once a year I see some alert come out, you know, telling people about holidays and weekends, but it goes by and, and you don't really see that much. But we had this title, Holidays and Weekends, Prime Time for Cyber Attacks. The truth of that was brought home to us over the Thanksgiving holiday, and we thought it might make a splendid subject for a podcast. Podcast. So we're happy to say that we survived our trial by fire, but our company was attacked over 400 times between shutting the office down on Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Thursday morning of Thanksgiving. And all of the attacks, make sure I say this right, originated from Microsoft IP addresses, correct, John? Yes, the top, I th- if my memory's right, I'm not looking at the report itself, if my memory's right, three of the top IP addresses were registered to Microsoft. What that tells me, though, is that whoever's using it as a jumping point was using their services, right? (laughs) Yeah, correct. And we certainly hope that Microsoft knows something about it and is addressing the problem. I think they are. They're pretty good about doing that stuff. And it was short-lived, you know, as you know. It was was only a few hours, so. Well, so did we get a good night's sleep on that Wednesday? Absolutely, because we didn't know anything was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So. So good preparation for attacks means that if the attack is unsuccessful, and many people don't understand this, you don't get alerts. We learned of all of the attacks first thing Thanksgiving morning with a large report to review over our morning coffee. So, John, yeah, I know you went through this. You were translating to me. Did anything strike you about the report that we got, John? They were picking on a particular vulnerability, and and it and that's pretty typical what we see, you know. And as as I scan through the reports, and I just want to you know clarify that we don't get notified of unsuccessful attempts because that's the way we have it configured. If you're crazy enough to get <laughs> to want those notifications, you can get them. Yeah, but they're um, going to just drive you bananas. So. Oh, they will. They will. You do, you don't certainly don't want to do that. You get overload. But what we typically see are where there's some particular vulnerability that's either been announced, that's been whatever, and they'll try to compromise that, right? They'll take advantage of it. And that's what we saw here. Again, I'm not looking specifically at the report. There was something, at least the way the logs identified it as a an office vulnerability, a Microsoft office vulnerability that they were trying to to exploit. Which is not an unusual thing, obviously. No, no. 
And don't think that we're cocky about quote-unquote winning the battle because absolutely no one is immune from cyber attacks, no matter how good their defenses are. So while we regard it, our victory here as being both being well-prepared <laughs> and lucky. I mean, just lucky. So, of course, we were very happy that we could watch the Macy's Day Parade while making our stuffing and not addressing, you know, a horror show at work. And a lot of people do. It, it's really quite alarming. It did occur to us because that happened and with Christmas and New Year's Eve on the way that maybe it was time to use this podcast to underscore to law firms something that should be obvious but isn't and that's that cyber criminals do not go on holiday quite the reverse it's a, a busman's holiday for them uh, so what they what they're actually doing is doing what makes them money so they are attacking 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 during those times because they're aware that many people are not well manned and things are not well staffed so i guess let me talk about how to shore up your law firm defenses but let's talk about those scary statistics first First, and it was just the week before Thanksgiving that cybersecurity firm Cyber Reason published the results of its recent survey. Understandably, more than a third of respondents said it took longer for their organization to assess, stop, and recover from a cyber attack on a holiday or weekend attack as opposed to a weekday. Now, the larger the organization, the longer the delay. They also lose more money because of those attacks, which are primarily ransomware attacks. And the root of the problem is that so many victims are understaffed on weekends and holidays, and that's typically very true of law firms as well. Half of the respondents reported being staffed at levels below 33%, and 20% of companies cut security staffing by 90% from normal weekday levels. Now, that is just crazy and asking for trouble. Understaffing gives attackers more time to avoid detection, to do more damage, and exfiltrate more data as these understaffed security teams scramble to respond. Do you understand why anybody would do this, John? <laughs> what? what the, why not, not, not be, pro not be pr <laughs> properly prepared. I mean, you know, you can't cut that deep. No, I mean, somebody has to be, quote, on call or at least available or there has to be a responsible party that's going to get whatever alert or, you know, whatever's going on. Now, the reality is that a lot of folks, at least today, as you know, they outsource some of this monitoring, which is good, too, because now you don't have to be bothered with the, the all the picayune stuff, right? The The little things that might occur, your service provider, you know, is probably more than capable of dealing with that. But certainly if something comes along where it's a lot more critical or a lot more, I guess, sensitive, you want to know about it. You can't say, hey, I'm going on vacation and, and go skiing in Colorado and not be accessible, right? But yet you're the contact guy. <laughs> well, there's a lot of cyber pros at this point buckling up, worried about a visit from the Grinch, so to speak. And they've had some experience because it's been a lot of years now that these cyber professionals have been battling holiday-related attacks. So most of them are kind of on edge. But the thing I think that frustrates them so much is that they lack the power to demand that staffing be maintained at normal or close to normal levels. 
So when Santa comes this year, all these experts know that the hackers will not be far behind. And history here is our guide from the Aurora attacks on Google all the way back in 2009 to the more recent Log4j and SolarWinds attacks. The notable fact is that these attacks took place mostly between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. So it seems to me that we apparently have not heard or learned a lot. Maybe this contributes to why some of these information officers are resigning at a record rate. No cyber pro that is worth his or her salt assumes they're going to be home for the holidays because they've got a job to do there. What do you think of all this, John? That's true. But, you know, the, the prudent ones take steps, if you will. You know, maybe you up your audit capture level or your, your thresholds or whatever. Like I said, you have different people that are, quote, on call or at least that are, that are responsible for that. Or maybe you outsource that, that particular thing. But, but I think part of the contributor too, Sharon, is that, you know, you think about it, you know, ever since the pandemic, we have more and more people now that are working remotely. So you've got more of the home environments that are happening. And as you know, the attacks have increased dramatically. So I'm sure these guys are just getting peppered just by regular, you know, things and trying to protect their their staff that are in a home environment. They're just worn down. <laughs> I am sure you are right. And we're going to try to give you some helpful information about all that. But before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is holidays and weekends, prime time for cyber attacks. It would be helpful to combat these attacks or, or give some measures that people could put into place because a gift of ransomware for the holidays is not what we want, but we seem to be getting. So in 2021, there was a 70% increase in ransomware attacks in November and December compared to January and February. So what is a law firm in particular, since that's mostly what we talk about here, what is a law firm to do? So I would say the best advice these days comes from the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agent, CISA, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. 
its advice, well worth taking, has been updated for 2022. So I think, John, it would be very helpful if you would maybe give us some of their tips that are so important to preventing and fighting weekend and holiday attacks. I want to start by kind of, and I hate to do this, but I want to, you know, quote verbatim what they say and then go into some details about what that means. But their posting was, at least when they were talking about this, is they need to understand the IT environment's routine activity and architecture by establishing a baseline, by implementing a behavior-based analytics approach. An organization can better assess user, endpoint, and network activity patterns. This approach can help an organization remain alert on deviations from normal activity and detect anomalies. Understanding when users log into the network and from what location can assist in identifying anomalies. Understanding the baseline environment, including the normal internal and external traffic, can also help in detecting anomalies. Suspicious traffic patterns are usually the first indicators of a network incident but cannot be detected without establishing a baseline for the corporate network. Network. So basically what they're saying there is know your world, right? Know what is normal activity within your computing environment. And then anything that acts outside of that environment, you want to address. They go further to say that you should be reviewing data logs. And as you know, Sharon, <laughs> one of our pet peeves is we wish people would capture more data. <laughs> they just don't, for whatever reason, seem to be logging as much as they should, if at all. They don't always retain the logs either, right? Correct. Yeah. They, for as they, long as they, they should. And that's going to be your historical, you know, information. Should, you know, God forbid something go south, the logs are your friends. They're going to help you, you know, understand what the heck happened. But some of the points that CISA talks about are you're going to look for such things as numerous failed file modifications, increased CPU and disk activity, some inability to access you know, certain files, or some unusual network communications. So what does all that stuff say to you? That's stuff that's not normal, right? It's outside the baseline. That's why it's so important to have some idea of what normal activity is. But you know, the good news is that there are tools that are out there to help you with that. Right. And one thing that just jumps right to mind for me is EDR environments, the endpoint detection response solutions that are available out there, because that's exactly what they do. They scan your environment. They take a look at what's normal. They use artificial intelligence, machine learning, heuristics, things exactly what CIS is talking about here. And then if something weird <laughs> out of the ordinary happens, they take some sort of an action. They alert. They can kill the process. They'll, you know, quarantine the files. Even, and it would be a good time, too, to use an outsource environment where, where you've got a SOC, a security operations center. EDR would send alerts to those. And now you've got a human being. You know, here it is, Christmas Day, right? The human being gets the alert go, oops, something happened, right? The, the little red light lit up on the map. So, <laughs> and it's not Santa. So they, <laughs> they, they, they look at that and go, oh, is this something we really need to be concerned about? It's things like that, right? Your, your systems that you have in place, as you know, Sharon, we talk a lot about for the solo small lawyers and what's the requirement to monitor for data breaches, et cetera. So having intrusion detection systems, intrusion prevention systems in place, CISA talks about those as well and that you should have those. So a product like Cisco's Meraki, which is a very affordable you know, product, especially for solo and small market, but all the way even large firms too. But it has that built into it. Those are the kinds of things and those tools. So if you don't have those in place today, certainly I think you need to 
consider implementing those and implementing the EDR solutions. Take a look at, you know, what's your managed security solution and using a SOC, you know, having maybe a Meraki or, you know, intrusion prevention, intrusion detection system. And all those things are, are very affordable, even for a solo lawyer today. Isn't there also technology, John, that can roll back to a known good state? Some of the EDR solutions have that ability. Once they quarantine, let's say, and kill a process, typically the rollback function, though, is done by a human being. You don't really want the software to make the decision, right? <laughs> They're not pushing that launch button for the missile. So you want, you want them to contain the environment, block it, send the alert off to a human being at a SOC, and then the SOC operator will sit there and look and go, oh, yeah, yep. That was a bad piece of software. That was an attempt to, you know, encrypt something or is an attempt to delete or do whatever. Yep, we got to put the systems back where they were in a good state. So they're the ones that will initiate that rollback to get you back to that known good state before the security incident occurred. Well, I noticed that CISA says that you should deploy honey tokens. Can you talk about what honey tokens are and, and how they're used to detect lateral movement? Well, they're basically, it's, it's technology. You're putting that Trojan horse out there, <laughs> honey tokens, honey pots. You're putting sweet things out there so that the cyber criminals go to it. <laughs> and then they have tracking mechanisms within them. So you're, you're trying to fake them out, right? You're giving them that low-hanging fruit for them to, to capture and move. And then once you sense that, once you sense that lateral movement, that's when you can take some sort of action to it. But a honey token, is, it's, it's not quote, real, if you will. It's a fake place to try to get the cyber criminals to, to bite on it and, and run with it. Before we uh, finish up and move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is holidays and weekends, prime time for cyber attacks. So, John, I think there are some more indicators of suspicious activity that CISA talked about. You want to tell us about those? Yeah, they basically, they, they said that these are what the, the folks that are watching your environment should be looking out for. And it's the things that we, we hit upon before, right? That unusual activity. So you want to look for some unusual inbound and outbound network traffic. Well, that should be pretty obvious to me. Right. If there's something that's leaving your network that shouldn't be leaving, you know, maybe this is they're copying all your data off before they go and drop that ransomware bomb. So you, you certainly want to be looking for that kind of activity. Any compromise of administrative privileges or escalation of the permissions on an account. What happens here is that maybe they've gotten access to one of the employees that has a weak password and you don't have MFA enabled. So they log in, they, they've accessed the account as that particular person, but you've taken precautions and that, that user just has a standard user account. Well, then they'll, they'll try and they'll take other steps in order to try to take that valid ID that they've gained access with and elevate the privileges of it. Take advantage of maybe some bug that you haven't patched for or whatever, or go in through some other method and then take... Mary Joe's ID, if you will, 
and then make her the administrator and then use that ID with those administrator privileges to move around the network. So that's something you, you certainly want to look out for because if someone's got the administrator credentials, the quote godlike you know, capabilities, they can do some serious damage to your environment. The other thing you want to look out for is a theft of login and, and password credentials. That seems, you know, pretty obvious, right, you know, as well. So if you get notification that your logon credentials have been subject to a, a data breach, you certainly want to be changing those passwords, et cetera. This is a good point as well to say, well, you're going to minimize the impact of that if you have multi-factor authentication available. So even though maybe your login and password credentials have been compromised somewhere else, having MFA is your friend, right? It's going to potentially alert you or at least stop your compromised credentials from being used for any any bad things. And we always have to underscore that line about it's good for you to use 2FA because, of course, there is still resistance, certainly among some of the smaller law firms about MFA. There is no resistance anymore or shouldn't be. <laughs> um, you know, we've got to suck it up and just put it everywhere we can. And you can't use cost as an argument anymore, right? <laughs> no, it's normally free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So any increase of database, you know, activity, database read access. So again, that's, that is an abnormal action. Could be an indicator that someone's trying to, to copy data or trying to extract information, put you into uh, to maybe to extort, you know, later on. And this could be one of the activities that happens before, you know, they drop the ransomware load, you know, on you. Geographic irregularities in access and login patterns. The good news is you may not even have to worry about that or at least monitor for that if you block and restrict them. You know, our own edge device, our firewall network, you know, access blocks access from, you know, certain countries, you know, IP addresses that are coming from a particular country so that we limit at least the potential for us having to, to monitor the geographic traffic. You should also be looking at, you know, attempted user activity during anomalous login times. What that means is, is it normal for somebody at 2.30 in the morning to be accessing your billing system or something like that? That's just an, this is an example. <laughs> or just to bring it back to, you know, the title, um, who is working on Christmas Eve or, you know, Christmas Day, that should be a dead giveaway too. But those are things that you should be looking for. Maybe it is normal and it is good. Again, it raises that red flag. Attempts to, to access folders on a server that are not linked to the HTML within the pages of the web server. So what they're talking about there is a web application. So if the code of the web page doesn't have any reference to within the, the HTML code, within the code of that, that website web page, to the folders or the files that a user is trying to access, well, that's another red flag too. Right, because it's not something that you would normally, you know. As an example, if you go to the website and you're trying to retrieve something from the website that's a PDF, right? It's an example of you know some case that the law firm has worked on or whatever it is. Well, that would be normal that there's a link in the web page that goes to the PDF file that the user's trying to to view. But if the user that connection that goes to the website is trying to access some other folder or file that isn't referenced at all within that web page, that's a flag, right? You want to know about that, you know, as well. And the last bullet point that CISA mentions is baseline deviations in the type of outbound encrypted traffic since advanced persistent threat actors frequently encrypt exfiltration. And I want to say there is that, you know, and Sharon, you know this, we talk about to lawyers all the time that 
in order to protect access to client confidential data, et cetera, encryption is your friend, right? You want to encrypt your data while it's in transit. You want to encrypt it while it's stored. Well, the cyber criminals have learned this as well. And if they are encrypting the traffic, none of your tools are going to be able to see what that traffic is. Are they copying, you know, a case file? You can't tell that. All you can tell is that there's encrypted traffic. So that's what they're talking about there. They're using that outbound encrypted traffic to hide the actual activity from what that intrusion prevention, intrusion detection system might be, you know, trying to alert you to. Very sneaky indeed. And you can see, <laughs> just listening to what John has said, you know, we've had to do this in a relatively brief amount of time, but it's well worth looking at CIS's advice because it can protect you. If you're listening and you're a lawyer, you're going to be needing to talk to, you know, your IT folks, your managed service provider, whatever, to make sure some of these things are in place. Now, I know the big law firms are probably fairly well prepared, but I think as soon as you drop down to the mid-sized firms, there's much much less preparedness. So I would certainly urge you to do that because it is no fun to find out that the Grinch has come over Christmas and that you have been breached and now must deal with all of that and the expenses and the headaches. And that's not a Christmas present at all. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, managed technology, and managed cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.